Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Carrying Through the Matrix on the 4th of August 2019. I hope you're all doing okay and getting by because that's all we can do these days is just get by if we can. We're awfully lucky if we do get by and because things are not great in the economy anywhere really and it's planned that way as always because after all since no one's on a gold standard anymore money really is a magic act for those who control it at the top because that's really what, what money is at the top. It runs the world, it controls the world, it controls every government and it's so important for those. It's a tiny clique at the top really who manage the whole banking system across the planet. And I'm sure there's lots of books out there, you all know that, on the histories of banking. And I've talked many times too about the the groups based in London who eventually became the, the Lord Alfred Milner Group and the Cecil Rhodes Society. And eventually we came out of them with their own tables and the, and the Royal Institute for International Affairs, Dash Council and Foreign Relations, uh, who, who basically are planning everything for the planet, so it would seem. And they're not the, maybe not the top people at it, but they certainly are the people who manage the affairs of the world, the foreign offices, the foreign departments, the treaties, parts of them manage the economies, basically. And they run the Federal Reserve Systems with the Trilateral Commission branch. And therefore, they run the whole world. They decide who's going to be popular, who's going to be famous, and who's going to get toppled at the top, out of uh, maybe into infamy from fame, and, and so on. That's how the world is. And they also take delights in boasting that they drafted up and planned the world to be broken into three parts, basically, uh, three unions, the European Union, an American Union, which would eventually broaden into the Americas and the Caribbean as well, into one system, and the European Union, and then the Far Eastern Pacific Rim region as well. So you've got, you've got this great plan they've had for a long, long time, and people will think, and I understand it perfectly well, well, what's wrong with that? There have been many debates too over many years, well, wouldn't we get there eventually anyway? And maybe we would, maybe we wouldn't. But the whole plan here is to really, like like the, the Marxian concept too, if things can happen along the way through time in a natural process, why not use your abilities to make it happen faster? So plan the problems, plan the solutions, etc. And eventually you can, you, can, you can go up the ladder with Hegelian dialectic and get the, the world where you want it to be. So if that included wars and world wars, you would use all of that, you see. And that is the, the system that's been used on the planet. But those at the top, and, and folk will say too, well, you know, they might agree with that. It's like you, when you're young and you read Bertrand Russell, uh, you'd think, my, my, that guy's got a lot of common sense in here in what he's saying. But it really isn't until you, you, you'd go into the cliques that they all belong to and the eugenic societies. And yeah, they, they need all your help to get things ran through, just like the Bolsheviks needed the mob, as they call them, the people behind them to, to overthrow the Tsar uh, and take over the country. They always use the mob, for, and yet you end up getting something completely different at the end of it than what you imagined. Because there's not a... You know, see, you always think in them and us. That, that's how people think. And it never occurs to you, if you're fighting for them, you see, then you're now part of us. That's what you think. But uh, them at the top don't see you as part of us. That's just it. 
And again, I've given many examples over the years of the ones who helped foment revolutions. And don't forget, we're still going through revolutions now. You don't need a massive bloodshed to go through revolution. Most of the revolutions we go through are fairly bloodless. They're cultural, they're sexual, they're into gender, they're into all kinds of things today. And these are parts of revolutions that were planned a long, long time ago. And you think you know that the where it's all going, but the fact is, it's a long-term process. We're reaching the end of one phase of it, that's for sure. Within about 30 years or so, they'll have a come. You, you wouldn't recognize the world in 30 years' time, or the cultures in it, or the types of new cultures that have been fomented and created for everybody to follow. Because cultures are, are definitely planned and formulated and successfully put across on the public who adapt into it rather easily without thinking. And it's not their fault. It's not their fault because they think they're free. If you're free, why would you be emulating behaviors of what we used to call decayed civilizations or defunct civilizations where the ancient Roman, ancient Greece basically collapsed from within? They didn't really need the people invading from without. They couldn't. It, came, it was so bad at the end with their debaucheries and their partying and so on. They didn't even have enough children of an ability to take over, to grow up and take over and run the country. It was just so corrupt and, and yeah. So here we are again. And so if you want to bring down a society or, or a, a system that you've used, if you're, if you're something behind the scenes, say, and you use, you're always using others to do what you want to do and where you want to get, you use them, you see. Once you've got them to this position where they think they're the bosses, then you have to get rid of them gradually. Well, that's what happened to the British Empire, obviously. <laughs> it's happened to, to the U.S. too. And it's always a shock to those involved. Interesting enough, I mean, Rudyard Kipling was involved uh, heavily, of course, naturally, with what he saw as, as, as the, uh, the British uh, system and the Rai system in India and British Empire, where they literally thought the sun would never set on the British Empire, as he said. They couldn't imagine it. They had never had so much wealth across the world. The people who were born into it on behalf of the officialdom of the empire. They had servants and all the rest of it. And a servant really, as far as I'm concerned, is a, basically a paid slave, isn't it? They didn't like that term in Britain, so they called them serfs, basically. But they were, they were definitely bought and sold with the land. But, as I say, when a ruling managerial class have served their purpose, give them, oh, 60, 70 years, uh, maybe a, a 100 the maximum, and they'll, they'll die off rather quickly. Because uh, just like every other defunct, as they call it, defunct, an arrested civilization, you, you, you go backwards, you start drinking, you take drugs, you have a sexual immorality, you don't have children, just the like ancient Romans, and so on, so on, so on, until you, you, you're overrun by the next phase. And the next phase, of course, of those who are going to manage uh, the world uh, are, are chosen by an elite again, a quiet elite at the back, to take over. And they have really a, a completely different mindset, most of them. They're brought into this new computerized industry. They're okay at what they do. 
it's all mathematics, basically. They get cocky and, and arrogant very quickly, very, very quickly, when the big money rolls. And, and they get their lectures given to them, too, that they're the, the new rulers and can rule billions of people's minds easily with algorithms, etc., which they can, by the way. And I'll touch on a little bit, just a tiny little bit of it tonight, because it is boring. I'm sure you've all read about it in, in various places. But the people who they bring in today who are taking over, uh, who are made the multimillionaires and multi-billionaires very quickly, uh, are still a managerial class on behalf of something above themselves, which they don't quite understand or believe is there. The greatest way to blind people is to make them think they're at the top, and they get terribly arrogant, and uh, and when they get too arrogant, in fact, and they won't take the little hints that'll trickle down to them, they're simply removed in, in different ways from the system. And getting back to Rudyard Kipling, he was part of the, the establishment. He was the big author of the day and a good speaker as well for, for the British, I say, in India. He and many others in his own era, his class system, like uh, you find, for instance, you had the, the, the later H.G. Wells. This was a whole class who, who saw the world as a place to be ruled, a place to be shaped, and they, they were taught, certainly by their, their, their owners at the top, the very, very top, that the culture, everything would be changed. And H.G. Wells was very, very aware of this, and he was all for it, he thought, at the time. But, but their shocks came, their, their shocks came to all of them, even Kipling too, when, when the, the torch was handed over to America to take over. Britain was exhausted with all the wars, the taxpayers paid for it all, one way or another. Uh, everything you bought had taxes on it like crazy. They, they were exhausted after right up through World War One, and so the, really the torch was handed, and it was planned to be handed and before even World War started to to the U.S. A, a much much bigger population coming in all the time, getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It had uh, a workforce from across the planet flooding in there. It has massive land space, uh, great mineral uh, rights and, and ores and all the rest of it. And it could be exploited and up and running very, very quickly, which of course it was. There's a lot of factory towns, a lot of factory, um, they'd almost be called factory cities. Some of them were so big at one time. It was a massive machine. That's how people could see it as a massive machine of production. That, and Britain couldn't stand up to it at all. As I say, Britain was exhausted because the, the public themselves are cannon fodder, naturally, for those who own an empire. And those who own an empire don't even see the people that they use as even being off the same stock, you might say, of themselves. They see themselves as almost a completely different race to themselves. And, and Britain certainly had uh, that incredibly arrogant system installed there. Anyway, for those, as I say, that help to push on to the next step and the next step. They are in shock. They are in shock when it's handed off to someone else because they think they're going to be in on it. Some of the big players have said that, that, that many of those who help us, Julian Huxley, for instance, I hate saying this stuff because if somebody grabs it all the time and uses it as his own, a rather big one all the time. But anyway, Julian Huxley said that. He said that many will, will serve us and work for us to eliminate the old, the old, he's talking about the system. And he said, uh, 
and they'll expect to come, but we'll bring him into the new system. It was almost verbatim to, to George Bernard Shaw. But, this, but they both said, but uh, they'll be shocked to find out after all their, their lifelong work and help uh, that they don't have they don't have the right stuff, you might say, uh, to, to get through uh, themselves and to be and to go into into the next phase. They'll be eliminated as well. <laughs> so that's how the system is. I've said it before that the elite see, and I'm and there is an elite. There definitely is an elite. Of course, there is an elite. And they decide what the future is going to be. They don't sit and, and bury themselves in books to find out what to do. They have lots and lots, millions of, of academia now, those in academia, doing all that kind of work for them. They have hundreds and maybe if not thousands today of think tanks across the world, which they have working on all kinds of the big agendas, problems, and how to overcome them, how to get round laws, and all that kind of stuff, uh, perpetually. So when they, when they meet together, they want all the facts presented to them by the experts. And that's how things proceed. The people at the top are very, very calm. Very calm. They don't sit and fret about things or worry about things. They leave the worrying to those who are employed by them. That's the beauty of being incredibly, not just incredibly, incredibly wealthy, but a member of the upper echelons and elites. I have to laugh and cry to an extent too at the misery that will come. When once again you read that now they're they're into the next phase, of course, of top of this new chapter we're in, of, of eliminating any any voices out there on internet or, or or whatever that they don't like, and they have to have some kind of uh, excuse for doing so, be it fake news, be it whatever. And but now they're also going oh, and there's all kinds of it. Oh, they're racist, or you name it, blah blah blah. Any excuse will do. To, get, to eliminate anybody who is off the beaten path of the authorized truth. And, of course, there can all be one authorized truth. And we're, here we are again. I can remember after 9-11, leading up to 9-11, in fact, there was a big drumbeat put out by the FBI and others who, that literally are all NGO groups that, around them um, that, that said that the patriot groups in the U.S. were could be the worst enemy in America. The most, they, they were the, the biggest threat, according to the FBI. Uh, and this is before uh, 9/11 happened, and even then, it took a quite a while for it to sort of die off as well. That kind of attitude, but now they've kind of resurrected different attitudes again with the same kind of thing behind it, of course, and and they will proceed to eliminate all those who are not authorized to be out there until you're left with the counterintelligence. And don't forget, counterintelligence will have incredible funding. It will give out sometimes more information on events and so on than, than anybody else. And it's got to be checkable to give credence. But then they spin you off into politics or into more wars across the world, and that kind of thing, you see. That's how it's really done. A brief look at the internet and through the different video systems and so on will tell you who, who still hasn't been pulled and who has no problem being found if you do a searches, searches on them. It's quite amazing where everybody else has been simply cut off and their finances have been shackled pretty well. Uh, to get them off uh, uh, out of your out of your headspace, you might say.
There's nothing unique in this. Back in the 90s, I did shows on regular media, on what they did and the big cartels who owned regular media and the history of it too. Uh, And I read from the Royal Institute for International Affairs on documentation on their control, say in Britain, for instance, as an example, and how before World War II started, they gathered their members in, the ones who owned, they were the cartel owners of the media in Britain, and they had a meeting in an afternoon because it wasn't even sure if Britain would even be involved in any war in Europe. But they wanted, the, the, the Royal Institute for International Affairs had its own agenda, of course, they always have their own agenda, and they needed the public support to fill the uniforms that would go off and do the fighting. They talked about ways that they could publicise and terrify, the words were terrify, uh, the British readers of their newspapers. And, they said, and so they all agreed, there and then, to broadcast on radio, it be the BBC and uh, with using their newspapers' write-ups on, the, on the, the, the fact that Germany was going to come and gas them all and them and their children from, from the air. And they also said that they would be out digging trenches against... Well, trenches aren't much use in modern <laughs> air uh, bombardments, believe you me. And they knew that, but it was to get an act... It was, it was to get something done in the big cities that would get through to the public. You see how we're conditioned and used. If you see folks suddenly frantically digging trenches in your cities... It, it, something that hasn't happened becomes a reality to you. Uh, oh, we're all going to get slaughtered by the, that is nasty. So it builds up anger for, for against people who haven't done anything to you yet. It, it's a precursor. It's, it's predictive programming. You get, you, oh my God, they're going to bomb us or any gases. They even said they're going to come over and and they would castrate all the able-bodied men. That would, that, that's what they, th- this is your. This is the moguls, the owners of the newspapers. In London, that's what they said to do. And they did. They, they put it all out there to terrify the public. Well, immediately the women were, 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 were Hitler said, <laughs> Hitler said in Germany, because he, he learned it long before him, but Hitler said that you must aim, the socialist government must aim all of their propaganda at, at the female psyche, the woman, because they, they, they demand protection. And they demand protection for their family, for their children, you see. And so you tell them that the government is now in charge, and the women won't, won't, won't question the government. They'll say immediately to, 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 the, to the husband, "Oh, Jimmy, yeah, you, you, do what they tell you, but they try to keep us safe." You see, so al- already the government's o- overruling the husband, who's, who's maybe saying, "I don't really believe all the stuff that they're saying." And but um, Hitler said, "Aim the propaganda at the woman because she wants peace and security and safety. Aim it over the head of the husband." The woman will come to us, the party, the political party. And then he said uh, the child will follow the woman and therefore the man must therefore follow the, uh, the child. So it's boom, 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 one, two, three, that's how it works. And it never changes. It doesn't matter about all of, of the freedoms that different uh, genders have today or anything else. Women still are more prone to demand. And, and it's what socialism, socialism knows. We're your friend. We'll, we'll give you your rights. We'll, we'll give you this. We'll give you that, etc., etc. But it's a price to pay. And the price is that, that the government expects you to jump and jump and jump whenever they tell you to back them up. There's always a price to pay. Power is not given out to people for free. Never. 
any more than the people who own the, the system. Uh, and then they'll say, well, we're going we're to use the people, but we'll, we'll give them a term called democracy. Because if you don't give them this, this idea of democracy, they won't do, they won't work for us, they won't do anything we want them to, to do, you see. We'll make them think it's going to be their system, a brave new world or, or utopia, and through democracy they'll have rights. And, and then they supply you with all the speakers of the rights. And then, and then you wonder, what on earth is this zoo we've got here, you know? And how come you're still just as poor at the bottom and getting worse? You have to understand that this, you're not living in the system you've, trained, you've been trained to see. Bertrand Russell said that we, you know, we, meaning his, his clique that he belonged to, a very high clique, in fact, he said we used to believe that all we had to do was to point out to the public what was right and wrong and what they should and shouldn't do and suggested them the better paths to follow. And he said how wrong we were. What we really needed to do was, was use what really worked, a brass band, uh, flags and parades and things. That, that's what the public will follow. It's an emotional thing. There's maybe a time in history where so much of our own money, of course, through grants, gets used to pay for studies and programs to control our behavior on behalf of the, of the ones who own the system, basically. And it works awfully well, incredibly well. Because, and, and the amount of financing the, the different teams in psychology and behaviorism get is staggering, folks. But again, money's nothing uh, to those who simply add, add numbers on it, to, to the long, long numbers that already exist of what the debt is supposed to be. It's nothing at all when you just keep... Uh, one time it's just print and paper, now it's, it's uh, just digitalized uh, additions that, that's added on to computers. It's, it's backed by nothing. So you understand that it's interesting that the, that the central banking system is, is a closed shop. You, you're talking about a high temple of the occult. It's right there because uh, you and I can you know darn well that at the end of the month, if your bills don't tally up and your income uh, is less than your output, uh, then you're in trouble. But governments have no problem with this. When you get a financial crash, it's because the elite at the top planned it that way. They want it. It doesn't have to happen. They could just divert it. They can just put it off forever if they want to. And so it's to suit what they call an adjustment for themselves, not for us. Uh, and the last, of course, the crash that we had, the 2007 to 8 crash, uh, is still wide open. Every country, every, pretty well every country borrowed from the U.S. See, the U.S. Federal Reserve today is not just the U.S. Reserve. It's pretty well a, a reserve to the planet when you look at the money that's owed to them by all the other countries, including Canada. Uh, we also had bail-out money the last time. Uh, and special drawing rights in Canada from the Federal Reserve. We were included in the Americans' banks as well. But we have to pay it back, naturally. And out of that, uh, they managed to really reduce the currency value, the purchasing power of the currency in Canada, by about 35, almost 40%. Well, pretty well, it's 40% now. And everything shot up in price, and, and the foodstuffs has gone up in price too. But that's not the end of the story, because when you look at everything that's happening... It's meant to look all disconnected. All the different events are disconnected, unconnected, but disconnected. 
from from a, a single cause or a single purpose or a single agenda. And here we go with conspiracy theories, which they say now is is a new taboo. It's the same. It's the same as the old um, uh, patriots being being the danger to the planet or to country or the U.S. or whatever it was in nine eleven. Now, of course, it's conspiracy theorists. Conspiracy theorists. It's so f- interesting when you read and you recorded the petty, pathetic little inquiries, these little routine nonsense things they had after the crash of the economy that started in the U.S. in 2007-8, and they had these little hearings. And to hear the chiefs of the reserve and all the rest of it saying, well, the money went to money heaven and with this sarcastic attitude, knowing and saying that, that the U.S. couldn't even charge these people with anything. Greenspan said it too, he, he weighed in on it as well, and said that you, the U.S. can't charge them. It's a completely different body from government. It's untouchable. Nothing they can do about it. So here we are. We, we live through all this thing. Because of it, we're poorer off than ever before. It was an adjustment, as I say. It was for the, for the elite's own reasons. But when, when the elite then bail out other countries, not just Canada, but in, in countries across Europe too have got, have got special drawing rights over that. You understand that money is always a control factor. It's the control factor. And no loan is put out without... without. It isn't just uh, all legalese to do with paybacks. There's conditions and social conditions and cultural conditions attached to it that must be met. We saw that first when, when Hillary Clinton was in the U.S. State Department. And but when they were giving out different grants across the world, as always, you see, she started tacking on all these things that the, that the people in Africa scratched in their heads. Because now it's overt. We're, we're not going to give you your loan unless you promote this law and promote that law and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That interfered with their culture. Well, now all the countries are the same, you see. We're all getting hit with the same things. That's what you do with, with the, the system. This money is a control factor. Every government on the planet has to go cap in hand to, to the central banking system every year to borrow more of these nothings that are then tacked on to their computers as, okay, they put money in. It's, it's a big club at the top, really. I mean, what I mean is a rich, rich, rich club. Because you, how can you not be rich when you're at the top Creating money out of nothing. And the whole planet just accepts it. And what a heady experience that must be, eh? We're trained to see the world in a certain way, and it really is different. The reason being, you've all forgotten that when agenda, the agenda for the 21st century, that used to also be called the Millennium Project, was all signed with the sustainability agreements and all the rest of it, and now you have different parts of it split up in about 15-year periods for further negotiation to ramp the next level through, the next level, the next level through. But don't forget, the original one is for the whole century. It's telling you what they had to accomplish in stages for the whole century. And population control is in there. Eventually, housing in Agenda 21, there'll be no private ownership of property. Did any of you read it? You see, what you're going to have... Is what's coming up right now. And you've been led into it. No private property. 
So let's look at this little article. This is start here, right? Now this one here is for Canada. But it could be anywhere. It could be Australia, New Zealand, uh, London, or anywhere in the world actually, because you'll see the same articles across in, uh, every country. Priced out of the market, three housing alternatives for hot markets. As is with the sluggish economy, so they're admitting it's sluggish, right? We mean sluggish. We don't produce material things anymore. And tight lending rules. So the big central bankers are tightening the lending rules. Being priced out of the real estate market is a reality for many, particularly those in Toronto and Vancouver. But where your finances are limited or you simply don't want to overextend yourself, there are other options. This is like Toronto, for instance. It says, where recent statistics show the median family income. Now, these are always approximate things. And don't forget, you have a tiny minority that's earning hundreds and hundreds of, of, of times more per family than, than other average families. So you can't get a really good figure for average at all, really. But anyway, it says the medium family income, this is family income, is 75270 per annum, right? And the average home cost uh, $762,975. So, so using these figures, prospective homeowners wouldn't be able to qualify for a mortgage. The maximum purchase price uh, this medium family's income could support is $620,935. And they need to put uh, 6% down. But affordability starts to come into the picture, but an hour west of the city. So in other words, they're trying to tell folk to move out, right? But if they move out, and if they're working in the city, well, now you're going to have congestion on the roads, more so and more so, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? But they're trying to tell you that if you move out, then the cost of average home is $507,131. And so uh, that the same family with $75,270 per annum could qualify with a minimum down payment of $25,713. That's all well and good, as long as you're pretty well guaranteed to keep a job, which very few folk are today. If the businesses that are in, too, don't go bust or be taken over or put out the market, everything's getting taken over these days, as you know. Another one, as middle class gets priced out of housing markets, Canada takes drastic steps to make it affordable. Now, here's what they're doing here, right? And this is how it sounds great, because we get great, great announcements in Canada. And they don't really go very far, actually. It says Canada's offering free land, right, and tax incentives to create more affordably priced options in Vancouver and Toronto. I'll tell you where it's going here. Fueled by a booming tech industry. Booming, see? Now, the tech industry is up and down like a yo-yo because there's so many countries involved in the same tech industry. Anyway, Toronto's economy has produced an all-too-familiar problem, soaring house prices beyond the reach of the middle class. It's also mass migration from, from and they've admitted it, from wealthy China. And, and every, every country says China and India. And India's got a massive middle class too. You forget that. They're wealthy. And then come in and buy them, the houses, right off the bat. They're like whole. You know, no, don't borrow with a mortgage. You don't need to. And China is doing the same thing too. They're the, when you look at the, the, the world prices of housing, and there are actually lists of them, it's, they admit it's mainly uh, China and, and then India, followed by India, that has the money, very rich people moving out and is buying places. So the folk at home can't afford it. Anyway, back to this article. 
They're complaining about Vancouver and Toronto being there as if that's only places in Canada. Of course they're not, but that's all they seem to talk about these days. Canada's embarking on an ambitious plan to create more, and here's the key: moderately priced rental units. So here's everything. Well, that's great that people are going to get fuel land and moderately priced rental units. So big international landlords, they have chains of them, if you don't know that, are snapping up this kind of offer, obviously, you see. And I've, I've done research into a lot of these, these organizations. And when you start, is, is the light coming on, right? If your memory lasts just about five minutes or a bit longer, you remember, right? So here, here's governments using your tax money to hand out land for building and, and tax incentives to companies that will put up rental apartments. You see, it's a start. The project to cost at least $10 billion. Well, you can probably put that up to about $40, $50 billion by the time they've tied it all up. That's always the way it works. It's at a scale never before seen in Canada, both in its size and speed, and it's raising questions about where or not the country will be able to address its affordability problem before it's too late. They talk about the UBS's Group AG's uh, annual list, major cities, etc., etc., etc. And what they're doing too, don't forget, don't forget, you know, they're giving them to big, big projects that own rental units across the planet. But anyway, it says Westback Projects Corporation, who spearheaded the project and recruited Allied Properties Real Estate Investments Trust to help them, is in on this act as well. And the Canadian plan, right, run by a, a new non-profit. So here you go, this public-private partnership. The public pays for everything, and the private ones uh, own it eventually. See, so it's non-profit called Creative Housing Society, proposes to build units aimed at people with medium annual incomes between 40000 to 100000 who spend less than 30% of their household income before tax on housing costs. Well, you see, the, the idea is to get you in to rental only, because again, gender 21, by the end of the century, they don't want people owning, at least ordinary folk owning their own property. And you have public-private partnerships. This is what it's about. There's so many of them. It's just a staggering how many international real estate agencies there are. And then these international real estate agencies are often uh, in league or part of or a subsidiary of a bigger company of international landlord associations that have rentals throughout cities across the planet, for instance. And that's the way the future and the public's tax money will pay for the upkeep of these, these buildings and homes, and they'll be so-called thermal-friendly and eco-friendly and sustainable, etc., 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 all the fancy words that add more bucks to it, and it'll be owned in, in, a, in an oddball sense by these corporations, and somehow they'll word that it's not really private, although, of course, it is. That's the way the future. But there's quite a few articles on the same kind of thing, priced out of the housing market, yada, yada, yada. Again, still blame laundering schemes spiked by British Columbia, home cost, etc. $7.4 billion money laundering scheme. It says cost 5% report fines. The headlines now are becoming more as, as I don't know if, if they go to school anymore. Because headlines often just don't make any sense these days, do they, really? And, and there's so many mistakes in it too. But anyway, it says, this, this is actually from Vancouver. And organized criminals 
found British Columbia an increasingly attractive place to stash their money, largely without legal consequences, to scathing final reports money laundering, said Thursday on money laundering. Well, you see, that's where they sink their money, as to the as to big, big projects, big buildings, and big cities across the world, you see. I've done the, uh, some of the stories a few weeks ago, or last week, or the week before, as well, on China uh, laundering money into buildings. It's the way you get money out, and to make it appear to be clean. Another article, too, says when you buy a home in the UK, you need to earn £54,000 on average. And again, it's the same thing, same tactic you find, where it says Zoopla finds London buyers must be paid £84,000 to, to qualify to, to get a, a mortgage, while Liverpool requires £26,000. You see how they can encourage you all to move? <laughs> they don't know what they're doing, eh? When you see the same articles and for different countries, all the same articles, basically, then there's something, there's a connection here, there's a reason. You also have affordability and sustainability being married, they call it. And neighborhood organizations work with this, these organizations, developers, etc., contractors, architects, they all meet together and they, they address the seven LBC principles of sustainability as part of their building projects, etc. Just outside Minneapolis, it's called The Rose, incorporates pioneering green building techniques amongst 90 mixed income. That's 47 affordable and 43 market rate apartments, apartments, apartments. So you see, the heaven's being changed into a brave new world, isn't it? And we're going along with it, because what choice do we have? The people don't know what else to do, except go along with it. See, you don't have what you think of as your country, whatever country you're in. You, you, you're still thinking it's your country, even though all the signs of what's happening uh, show you the opposite. It's not your country. And the politicians you bring in, they completely ignore your, your problems, your real problems. And big things happen, and you don't have a clue what's happening. As I said before, the NAFTA agreement, North American Free Trade Agreement, that was drafted up, was it was really to amalgamate the Americas and the Caribbean and other ones too, and to, to bring us all under one big system, even with a central parliament down the road, if possible. They said they wouldn't need that, but they'd like to have one. But you can still run the countries without that. And if you wonder why, you haven't, been, you haven't seen any official documentation from your governments telling you they're dissolving the borders, for instance, but you can see it and read it all the time that that's obviously been happening for a few years, quite a few years. Then obviously your government is not in charge of what's happening. Something above them is because they, they, if your government was real and something was happening outside their control, they would make sure they took over control to get it back to where it's supposed to be under law. But they're not attending, which means they're told to hands off these new, new normals. Now, I'll show you, too, a little example of people who think that they're up at the top, or near the top, at least. And you can see the arrogance of the, str- I call them the strutters. They verbally strut, and their attitude is superior, of, of superiority, etc., because they're spoiled. They're spoiled. But they think they're in charge of much of, of what's going on because they've helped to shape the opinions across the planet through electronic programming through different systems. Now, here's an example. It's just an example of one 
one person that uh, he was on television discussing what happened to him in 2017, and you wonder if he, if he really gets it yet. And during that discussion, at least, but uh, it's on uh, Shamath Palihapitiya. His name is. He's a venture capitalist, right? He used the big big money again, and the founder of and CEO of Social Capital. He was born in Sri Lanka, and at six years old, moved with his family to Canada, went to school and, and college and all the rest of it until he, he, he did really well in electronics. And then he went down to the States, worked for a year as a derivative trader. Again, derivatives and all the rest of it is, is to me, I, I can't tell the difference between hedge funds and derivatives, unless maybe the derivatives are, are the leaves that are left after you've cut the hedge. But it says here that um, it's a traded investment bank, BMO, at Nesbitt Burns. And he moved to California to be with his then-girlfriend, Bridget Lowe, and then they married, and so on. He joined AOL, becoming the youngest vice president of the company in its history, heading its instant messaging division in 2004. 2005, he left and joined Mayfield Fund. A few months later, left that job and joined Facebook. This is the key to it which was then a little more than a year old. So he was, he was one of the, maybe the partial, one of the many, <laughs> maybe partial kind of founders in a sense. Right? Uh, it says Palihapitiya's work at Facebook involved trying to increase its user base. It says that when he joined it, he had contempt for people who merely write code. Because he, 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 he has that, Attitude around him and contempt But then, that his experience at Facebook Led him to revise his beliefs But he was here for four or five years Before he revised it so One of the things he admired about uh, Mark Zuckerberg He says it was his lack of ego well, I don't know where he got that from An ability to make business Decisions dispassionately I hope you understand that These business decisions are much bigger than giving you something to chat with across the planet. It's a whole new culture. And there's a, a, a YouTube, I'll put up a link to it, where this, this, this man talks about it. And he talks about when he left Facebook because of the incredible power it had and how it could cause uh, tremendous harm as well, etc. But he says that the power to influence people's behavior and so on and so on, right, and culture. So he's left it, and he now is supposedly, he's advising people to do the same as him, and, and, and all get together, all the biggies, basically, and create a good, proper culture for the people, creating new morals by using all these algorithms and behavioral modification techniques they can use that you don't even know are getting used on you. Well, hold on a second to you. Isn't that simply a continuation of the Facebook with a different company? And did did anybody ask the population anywhere on the planet, do you want your culture changed? And if if, if you all said even, yeah, were you asked about what you would want for a culture? No. The arrogance of the people involved in the tech industry who admits, who admits the power that they have to change and they already use, they use it all the time to change and create the culture that's, that's rapidly disintegrates. And he admits that, by the way. But I think it's disintegrated because it was intended to be that way. But let's be honest here. Who's given them the power to and the right to, 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 inter, to interfere with your mindset? 
in such a way that you have no say-so on it. You don't even know that it's been done to you because it's so perfectly done. It's a tremendous psychop operation going on all the t- They admit this in lots of their writings, by the way, folks. So this guy now is, where it's his own idea or he's being used, um, is being used as a form of revolutionary for political lobbying strategies and so on. But his answer is basically to, to use it to, to properly, to, with all their power that they have, to, to create a, a good culture. So whose opinion is a good a cool, Clarify what he means by a good culture. And let's be honest here. Uh, how does this tie in with democracy? It doesn't, does it? It doesn't. When you're not asked, or do you mind if we alter your behavior? Or do you mind if, if we penalize you for your opinions? Or even your thoughts? Even the thought's only a question. The borders on a taboo subject, no matter what it, what it happens to be, who gives them the right to say they're going to punish you for that? Because that's where it's all gone. I hope you understand. So anyway, this fellow got some media attention when he, he came, at least talked about it and how um, they, they know they've they got these dopamine-driven feedback loops, they call them, and, and Facebook deliberately designed into them to make it addictive and to really to get to the young folk and then give them their opinions and so on. That everything out there is so weaponized. You can't watch anything on television without being brainwashed. There's even a talk that Star Trek was loaded with all these messages or make you think, maybe you should think about this particular problem that way or this way until it becomes your, your opinion too. Everything out there, see the entertainment value is the hook to get you to watch it. And the rest of it is really just weaponized payloads that get into your brain. That's what it's for. So I'll put these articles up along with another one too with Facebook. Facebook could soon be snooping on your encrypted WhatsApp messages under plans to moderate content on the platform. So once again, it's also a censorship of speech, moderate content, right? They're using online artificial intelligence algorithms to scan and moderate content in its WhatsApp messaging service to enforce its acceptable speech policy. There you go. By the way, uh, this young fella who wants to uh, give you a new culture, or basically new morality, on the talk he cusses and swears. This is your this is your new uh, guru to give you good your good culture and good values and so on. Hmm. And where do you get all this cussing and swearing from? I've never heard so many folk cussing and swearing. It's all from everything on your, on your social media and on your movies and everyone else. That's what started it all. I think Britain was the first target of that big time, actually. I also put up, remember, uh, the world's largest real estate companies in 2018. That's quite a good list that ties in with the housing you know, I mentioned earlier there. This article, Should the Rich Be Allowed to Buy the Best Genes? And so biology is a new tech, and there's a conference at Quebec City on CRISPR technology, the molecular tool designed to edit genes that goes through some of it and some of the, again, your new gods up there, the white-coated gods that found ways to edit the genes and so on and alter the genetic coding and how wonderful it all is. We should worship them all, you know. We should, yes. At one time, as I've said like last week, but the, the people who go off to work at big, big agency labs to create 
bio-warfare, you slaughter millions of people and their families and they tend their gardens and have wives and stuff and vice versa. Wives have husbands and they might go off and do the, do the, the, the creation of bio-warfare t- uh, technologies. Well, it's the same with, with this stuff here too. Because now you're truly God when you can come in and decide what kind of creature you want to be. But uh, don't forget, Brave New World, Aldous Huxley, 1932, I think it was, or 33 came out with. That's where you're going with it all. It's all eugenics, always eugenics. And another article I wanted to put on too. Stop ale herbicide spraying on the Sudbury Forest. Near me, uh, they've been spraying over the Sudbury Forest. And there were articles in 2015 about it. They wanted Monsanto's product uh, glyphosate stopped. And Garland XRTPCP, systemic herbicide containing tricloper, which is also used, it said here. I've got two articles on it, and I'd like to just put it up because it's important. Why are they doing this, eh? I mean, again, I know we're disposable when you get way outside the big, important cities. Remember the, the super cities that the UN declared back but 10, 12 years ago, and how these would be the big places of the future. They'd be countries, in a sense. Everything outside of them would just die off because you wouldn't be living in them anymore. You'd be off the land, the Gen 21, living in these, these big, big cities. I guess that's what they're doing here. They're, they're definitely spraying a lot of stuff on us that shouldn't be there at all. This other article, too is to do with uh, more spraying on Sudbury. They call it rain of death on Canada's forests. It isn't just in uh, Sudbury, but uh, Global Research has got an article there too, just for those who want to want to know about it. Anyway, where are we here now? Because I'm running out of time. I'm trying, I'm trying to keep it shorter talks because other folk put them up and there's one that was up on a, on a radio thing, uh, actual radio broadcast eventually, and uh, it tends to go over, so... Former Google engineer says Google will try to prevent Trump's re-election. Well, this, it tells you that if Google is surviving and has been allowed to do what it does, which is total control and total data collection, it's working for the people who own the planet. How's that? Obviously. So there's no government stepped in to, to lessen its powers at all. They, they give these little, oh, we're talking, we're looking at this, we're looking at that. No, 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 forget that rubbish. It's, it was set up by the intelligence agency of the planet, of those who rule it, the planet, basically. That's what I'd say. Also, they've got uh, first human monkey chimera. I've talked about this years ago. It raises concern among scientists. Why not concern about the public? So they've actually done it naturally. I'm sure it's not the first time either. So anyway, they've produced monkey embryos containing human cells. A chimera, by definition, it says, it says it's an organism whose cells come from two or more individuals. That was done at the Salk Institute, people who worked at the Salk Institute in the States. And the stretch was, they did research in China, it says. So they took their research over to China because it would avoid legal issues back in the States. But it's the, it's the uh, professors Juan Carlos uh, Ispizua and Belmont from the Salk Institute in the U.S. are the ones who did this uh, this uh, particular thing. You know where it's all going, eh? And they will make certain types of efficient workers for different functions and so on. We probably won't even blink an eye when that all happens because we're so conditioned into the inevitability of it. This whole thing about Mr. Epstein, Jeffrey Epstein, I personally am pretty certain, from what I've never read, that definitely is, is, it's... 
to me, it's an intelligence operation, obviously. And I think even uh, the first um, investigations they had on him years ago, um, they've admitted that the man was the the, the the guy was put in charge of it. It was a Conti was told to kind of back off to an extent because this guy belongs to intelligence. That came out, and of course they're not saying which intelligence agency, and it probably be more than one. I'm sure the U.S. all use it as well, because you don't do such incredible honey trap systems without exploiting it to the best you can to get all important people who help run affairs of the, the, over the population. Yeah, you get them all, as many in as possible and get the blackmailable uh, stuff on them. And uh, and everybody involved in these things who, who, be, who actually scums to it and goes along into the honey trap, it's understood. They're not, they're not stupid that they now owe a favor, a big favor, to the person who set up for them. And he, they also know that they are blackmailable, obviously. It's set different countries scampering for excuses on what to tell the public. Well, right off the bat, uh, outcome, oh, well, you see, he's just an oddball character. So he, take it down to, to instead of bring it to, a, instead of it being a, country, a certain country, any country's intelligence agency, let's take it down to him being an oddball, screwy character, right? That just wanted to repopulate the world with his own seed. That's how to get off track. And uh, But the, the fact is, no, this was a big operation, uh, heavily used to influence people in all parties in the States and in Britain, other countries too. And there's royalty involved, as you know, as well. And that's a big, powerful organization. So they can't let that go to waste, and information will not be released to the public of, of it all. No way at all will they do that. Uh, but they'll use it, and I think what's going to... And I tell you, it's sort of well-timed. I mentioned it years ago when, the, when the, the different all the countries in the West and we had their censorship departments for, for culture. Used to have that for television programming and movies and stuff. Uh, and they met years ago talking about... They had won the battle. Because these organizations were not there to safeguard the public. The public thought they were. They were there to see if they're ready to push the envelope even further. And they discussed what the steps would be for the next step. They did mention about intergenerational sex would be the next step. That they would promote on television, put into movies and drama series, etc. And I'm certain that this is going to give, if it gets into any court systems, you're going to hear the top behaviorists and psychologists brought out to explain to the public, well, you know, it's changed now. Every, every, there's no child is ignorant of sexuality anymore but from the age of five on. I guarantee you this is going to come out. And they'll say, yeah, and some children are precocious and, and some are even sexually involved very early at 11 and 12. They get the, those, these oddball cases, but there, there are, they will find them. And then they'll come up with many other ones too about the, the children's, the, the, the information they've gleaned from the children's social habits and social networks. Would they boast about this? Kind of, and they'll, then they'll say, well, see, how can you possibly say that this man, he, he wasn't jumping out of a car, grabbing them and raping them, see? It was a contract, financial, and, and these children knew what they were doing. That's what's going to come out of this. And out of it will come the, the reduction of the age limit for sexual, sexual contact for children. And uh, they may even introduce uh, uh, legislation to be okay. I'm not kidding you, because they talked about this many years ago. I've followed this stuff for years and years and years. 
It's part of the cultural, the real cultural warfare on society. And they, where they mentioned that, that eventually there would be no restrictions between intergenerational sexual contact. You wait and see. You just wait and see. And they'll give you sights. And people would, well, yeah, they knew what they were doing. And no, 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 they couldn't at that age. How, who could blow? And they'll go, and they'll get the public arguing amongst themselves, eh? Just too easy, isn't it? Too easy. And here's the sad thing. You see, there's a term they use. And it was used in the, in the, by the communists. Chris West used it as well. When you were enamored by an enemy's country, by the, the system that they had, you might have liked parts of it. It was, you're called contaminated. Because now you start liking it, that this, the, oh, well, that's not too bad. It's a good culture. And so they might lose you. And so bad, in the fact, that Stalin killed many, many, many Russians and imprisoned them in the gulags when they were released uh, at the end of World War II because they had been involved, they now had been in contact outside the, 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 the communist Soviet bloc countries. They'd met other people as prisoners. But even that could be enough to contaminate them. And so they couldn't be trusted. The parents today, starting with, say the parents were even in the 1960s, and then they had, if they had children. So they're 20 years old, or in their 20s, they'd have children. And then those children would grow up, and they'd be in their 20s and the 80s, all the way down to the present time, step by step by step. You could now have your great-grandmother sitting with your granny and your mother, and then and the children, all in a row. And the dad's there too, if you can find them. And they could be watching Fifty Shades of Grey or whatever else they're watching today with, with, with S&M and bestiality or, or pornography. How can you get through to people what's happening when they watch stuff like this for entertainment? And that will come out too during these trials. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not, I'm not standing up for this. I'm, I'm telling you how it's supposed to go. We've been in a war for an awful long time. The complete destruction of Western civilization and the family unit. And it hasn't stopped. But now you can't get parents today because, again, we've all had our dose of contamination. No one escaped it. And the parents will, oh, well, you know. And they probably, after the debates go on on television, get played on television by faces that they like, you know, talk show people on television, they'll say, oh, well, you yeah, know, maybe they're right, you know. Maybe, maybe the, what's wrong with, with lower age, you know. <laughs> they will, they will guarantee. When you can get folk to put holes through their, through their faces, to hang objects on them, and to tattoo themselves, through social media, through entertainment, through the massive algorithms and brainwashing they get, thinking they're going to be individualistic. Well, you can't be individualistic when you've got a whole bunch of folk to compete with doing the same stuff. Then there's nothing that they can't do with you. I hope you understand that. Now, back to Epstein too. There's two articles, awfully important as well, because it ties in with the pattern recently where Boris Johnson just magically was, was basically put in there as um, the Prime Minister to take over from me. And he appointed his cabinet. And I, I had a laugh when, I, when, I, when he appointed them because people really, they're, they're, they're clutching at straws hoping to, 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 to regain some past something of a whole culture and society. Even the, I'm the working classes too. That's all gone. All the industry's gone. There's nothing to hold on to. But they want it. So anybody promising them uh, some kind of vague promise 
I feel we're in, we're like the American Indians after all the, the, the Indian wars, as they called them, against the Indians. And they came up with a ghost dance in, in the late 1800s where you put a big pole in the ground and, and basically ropes coming from it uh, with, cha- with, with hooks on the ends. And they would, they would put these hooks through themselves and, and swirl around in the sun without eating and all so that the heat and starvation and, and the suffering and, and trying to get visions, trying to get visions of hope, a religious experience of hope. And someone had put the word out that if they kept doing it, if enough of them did all this, you talk about desperation as a suffering. This is the, the extreme of suffering. This is what drives you to when you see your, 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 everything you knew that was yours and your ancestors right up to your, up to, to your recent ancestors and your, and your parents. All they was getting wiped out, destroyed. And they hoped that even the ghosts, even the ghosts, like the idea that you saw in Lord of the Rings idea with the, with the, the shades or whatever they called them, but they hoped the, hoped the ghosts would, of all the old warriors going down through the ages would come back and, and drive the white man off the land to regain the lifestyle they used to have of hunting. A simple lifestyle, but they all had work to do. Uh, the guys would hunt and so on. And the women, and no, they weren't all peaceful. These Indians fought each other like all tribes do. And, um, but they, they, they all had, but they seemed to have function. It was taken away, then you start, you become self-destructive. And they certainly were not getting, before they were given booze, alcohol, they weren't drinking themselves to death. They didn't have glues to sniff themselves to death. They didn't get drugs flooded into them to kill themselves off. But that's the technique that's now been used on what's left of the Western world, folks. The articles on drug abuse is not lessening, it's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. But getting back to Britain here, and the folk in Britain are hoping this group will pull them out of something, these appointees. But pretty Patel, that was put over, she's in the head of the Home Office. Eh? Whoa. That's the job, I think, that uh, Theresa May had before. And then you've got MI5 and MI6 under there and all that kind of stuff. Pretty Patel. Have we all forgotten of her secret meetings? The Guardian did articles in them in Britain. I'll put links up for the ones that care. But she, and her, she was given, her job was to, to give British aid out, meaning her taxpayer money, <laughs> people's taxpayer money, dish it out across the, the world to the poor folks so they could eat and so on and have education. But she, she was in her own time, without her, you're supposed, under the law, they're supposed to have their cabinet around them wherever they go to meet foreign dignitaries. Well, she thought, well, she'll go her own way, and she was going over to Israel about 12 or 13, maybe 14 times. Didn't announce to her department, supposedly, as we're told. They were talking about possibly gave aid to, aid to Israel, right? And now she supposedly, it said in an article here, it reported a visit to an Israeli field hospital in the occupied Golan Heights. Here's the key to it, which could have taken place only with both Israeli military and political clearance. If you remember back then, Israel had set up hospitals, and they say here in these articles to treat Syrian fighters. Well, what it was, it was ISIS groups, that were, it was the mercenaries that were trying to kick Assad out. And because I got the articles here at the time uh, when it was all happening, and, and, and the wounded were getting taken back, and Israel was treating them to send them back to, to, to fight again, you see, to try to overthrow Syria. 
which tells you, and yes, okay, Pretty Patel, amongst many others, were, she was the head of the British Conservative Party's Friends of Israel Association, sure, but most of them are in all parties. But it tells me that, that she's intelligence. Now you, can, you all debate which, which, the, which the intelligence service there is, but the fact is, when she, when she was, wasn't even kicked out, of governmental positions. She was simply uh, on a different position out the limelight. And, and, but here she's been basically given the top job in Britain. Eh? It tells you that she was unoperative back then because Britain was... This is how you get around and get money to an operation that you want because Britain and the US... And we had the articles spelled out in great detail. No conspiracy involved at the time from the same newspapers across the world of what was happening there and that we were funding these fighters, these ISIS and, and ICE fighters and ISIL and all the rest of the names they gave it. Same, same thing. And given the weaponry, uh, weapons too. So we wanted it. I, did, I hate this word, we. This whole thing of saying you're from this country or that, you forget that because I don't know anybody in Britain that voted for war. They weren't given a vote in the first place or even asked their opinion on any of these wars. We've got to get out of this habit of blaming nations. London has always wanted uh, Syria to be under a new regime, as they call it. And of course they're funding it. I can remember reading Spy Catchers by Peter Wright. And Peter Wright, he, he said that to get money at one point, MI5, had a lot of fake organizations down uh, to give, that were going to get money from, you see. And so they had different organizations that were, they were labeled, some of them were labeled as, as lesbian NGOs that didn't exist. And that, that money that was put to the, for the, the, these NGOs was actually coming into, into MI5's coffers for different projects. This is the kind of way they do it. So Patel, obviously, was over there. And that's why she wasn't really punished for it at all. She's still working for probably MI6, I would say, at least. And maybe another country too, who knows? Maybe a few. Personally, I think uh, that all the top organizations are all one. That's my opinion. You couldn't keep folk out of them. You couldn't stop infiltrators. So they have to be one. So anyway, I, just, I thought I'd just toss that in there too for those who want to have a look at it. And there's no time relief for anything else. I've got stacks of articles, but time has run out again. And as I say, I can't really go over too much of a time limit. Remember, you can help me take along and keep going by donating to CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website. There you'll find out how to send money. And you can also list all the other sites I have listed on the CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website, which are mine. These are my official sites. Anything outside of that isn't mine. So remember, order your books and discs at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com or one of the sites listed on that particular site. So for myself, Alan Watt from Ontario, Canada, where I'm getting sprayed by uh, glyphosate, supposedly, <laughs> in the forest, it's good night to me, your God, or your God's scope with you. <laughs>